Coming up on Something is About to Happen. Don't let the enemy pull your triggers. Because once he starts pressing your buttons, you will fall out of grace and fall under the law. Where you now move from putting your dependence on God and you now start putting your dependence on performance, self-effort. And by that, you discard, as in a manner of speaking, the help you get from God because you think you can do it yourself. My subject this morning is simply put, rooted to reign. God wants you to reign in life. And life there is a position at the right hand of all sovereign authority in glory in heaven. I want you to reign in life. So that your life is lived from heaven to earth. From the right hand of glory right here on earth. So that you are not by yourself. You are inwardly empowered by God Almighty, the sovereign. Who would not leave you to beaver, but chose to install himself in all who believe upon the redemptive work of his son and the redeemer himself. Therefore, Paul writes to us in Romans 8 and verse 1, and he tells us, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and God has allowed me to be exposed to condemnation. And as I prepared, I stumbled on these words that condemnation actually really kills. It is the effect of the law of sin and death. And I'm enjoined by understanding to take it very seriously. Because at the root of disease, sickness, anxiety, stress is condemnation. Stress is dangerous. But condemnation is far more dangerous than stress. Stress gives cancer. It brings about leukemia. It causes more than 70% of the diseases known to medical science, according to one study, and I'm sure there are other studies. What I'm trying to say to you is that your life problems are not the root of your stress, but they are the fruit of it. The root determines the outcome of the fruit. I mean, I didn't know that up to 70, possibly 80% of all sicknesses are caused by underlying stress. And they take their time to fester and to foster serious degenerative disease and condition. The deeper root of stress is fear. Listen carefully. The fear of failing in life. The fear of failing at parenting, the fear of failing at being a husband, the fear of failing at providing, the fear of failing at work or at career, the fear of failing to the disgrace or the embarrassment of those to whom you are accountable and those to whom you are responsible. The fear of not enough to thrive or survive, the fear of, of death, the fear of defeat, the fear of peril, the fear of of losing the court case upon which so much hangs. The fears of life, they are many. And the Bible says that fear has torment. 
But perfect love casts out fear. And so the only way you can really deal with fear, you must be deeply convinced of the nature, the manner, the competence, and the capacity of the love of God and how he made a way for that love to be abundantly provided to you so that you would never have to fear anything even in the face of fear. Now, medical science has detected that the fear is at the root or it's the underlying factor in stress. But that is as far as medical science goes. It's as far as medical science can go. Science cannot touch the real root of all because it is not a natural thing. Science cannot go to the real root of fear because the real root of fear is not scientific, it's not natural. It is spiritual. What I mean to say to you is that the deepest root of all condemnation or the deepest root of all fear and stress, underlying fear and stress, is something called condemnation. And we have to deal with it. Hallelujah. Because where there is condemnation, there will be fear. Where there is fear, there will be stress. Where there is stress, it causes the manifestation of the curse. By the curse, I refer to the curse on Adam and Eve, the progenitor of all humanity. So let's look at the curse in Eden more studiously. Uh, I want you, as we look at the curse in Eden, to understand that Eden was a finished work. And when we say finished work, we imply or infer grace. In other words, Adam did not have to create Eden. It was completely set in place and in order. And Adam was then planted in a finished work to attend to its growth. And by growth, it was meant to spread across all of Eden. The garden was not the same thing as Eden. The garden was in Eden. Eden was in the east. The east was in the world. And so he's... By the gratuity of God, he's planted in everything he needs. But whilst he's there, God has allowed the enemy to be armed and to be present as a threat to Adam uh, that if Adam fails in his faith, he will yield to the enemy. And this is why I want to pause for a moment and caution us don't let the enemy pull your triggers. Because once he starts pressing your buttons, you will fall out of grace and fall under the law. Where you now move from putting your dependence on God and you now start putting your dependence on performance, self-effort. And by that, you discard, as in the manner of speaking, the help you get from God. Because you think you can do it yourself. Hallelujah. We're going to deal with things this morning. And whilst God provided everything for Adam in the garden, there were two paramount trees. They were not opposite equals, but they were opposite. And one was called the tree of life, and that tree of life is Christ. And the other was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you study the tree carefully, you will understand that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a picture of the law. Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil causes you to know sin, which you did not know before you ate of the law. 
And I'll express and explain that more aptly in a few moments. So Adam is in the midst of the garden. And who is Adam like? Who is he like before the fall? He is like God. God had said to Adam or of Adam before he created Adam, mankind, let us make man in our likeness and in our image. Why? So that they can have dominion. So the nature of God is dominion. And Adam was just like God and was fashioned in God's image. So you will look at Adam and you see God. You, you encounter Adam and you experience God. That's what likeness and image means. And Satan, the Bible says, was subtle. And he came with, with his craft and moved upon Adam via his weak point. Somebody who was not as schooled as him by God because he was the teacher, the intermediary, the priest of his house, the prophet of his house. He normally uses a surrogate or something around that's weaker in understanding. And he asks the question, has God really said that you should not eat of this tree? He comes with questions. He brings an argumentativeness. He said, of course God said we shouldn't. If we eat of it, we're surely going to die. He said, no. God is trying to withhold God-likeness from you. And he stole her knowledge of God and her knowledge of her own godlikeness by saying to her, subtly, God doesn't want you to be like him. But if you eat this tree, you will become like him. In other words, of course you want to be like God. But if you don't know you are already like him, you will desire to be like him because he's the most desirable. He's the desire of eternity, the desire of the ages. You understand it? So he had temptation down to a T, yet there had never been a man before then for him to tempt. This was driven by his lust for eternal divinity. He wanted to be God. And he wasn't. And then he sees mankind, they are gods, but he is not. And she saw, because of his words, that the tree was good for food, it was desirable, and it was going to enable her to become like God, based on a deception. But look carefully with me at Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He stole her own furniture from her and was selling it back to her with counterfeit money. Now, I said all that because I, I want to go here. Adam was already like God, but he believed the devil. Really, it was Eve. Yeah? And what really happened here is, as they ate the fruit, they fell and the curse came. And the root of the curse is condemnation. Hallelujah. So before there was poverty, sickness, and death in Adam's life, there was first stress. Uh, before there was stress, there was first fear. Before there was fear, there was first condemnation. So it's a system. The sentence was already there awaiting Adam's sin. 
And the moment Adam sinned, the sentence that had been pre-pronounced, that the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And the moment he ate of it, death occurred. He was separated from his connection, from his rootedness with God. Instantaneously, he lost his root. And the result of losing that root is he came under sentence, judgment, condemnation. And the result of that condemnation is it brought fear, the fear of death, the fear of being without God, the fear of being without his support, his favor, his kindness. All I've known of him is grace because I was planted with everything available to me that I did not work or I did not work for. Look with me at Genesis 3 verse 19. And God says to Adam, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return onto the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and unto dust you shall return. In other words, what is sweat? Stress. You're not meant to sweat. You're not meant to stress to achieve anything. Your life is supposed to be easy. Because it's not you that's meant to work. It's Christ working in you and through you. You are a vessel. That's how it's supposed to be. But because of the fall, Judgment comes on him, he loses his connection to the taproot, as a result the supply of energizing grace, empowerment is no longer there. Yeah, do you get it? Then fear creeps in, because now God notices something has happened, and he comes in the cool of the evening looking for Adam. And he said to Adam in verse 10 of Genesis, where are you? And Adam answers in verse 10 and he says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? How do you know you were naked? You were always naked, but you had a spiritual connection in your life that covered your own nakedness from your own eyes. Because you were covered by the glory of God, you were hid in Christ, in God, pre-incarnate Christ, in God. You were hid there. So you were completely clothed upon by the one who is almighty. He was your garment, apart from being your inner fullness. Who, who told you you were, were naked? And he said, because I, I knew I was naked, I hid myself. And God asked him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree where have I commanded you that you must not eat? And Adam was in trouble. Fear started to rule his life. Death uh, as a result of the condemnation, started to rule his life. But please understand that the fear, it gripped Adam. That's why he went to hide from everything, including creation and its creator, because he was scared. But before Adam was fearful, he first felt condemnation. Why? Because he entered into divine sentence, divine judgment that had been pre-pronounced on occasion of sin. And I want you to hear this. The law condemns. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a picture of the law. Because the law gives us the knowledge of good and evil. Romans 3, verse 20, the B close. For by the law, I came to know what sin is. Without the law, wrongdoing was not wrong. I would not have known. So the law reveals your crime. In the secular world but the law of mosaic origin reveals your sin God did not give the law for man to live by it 
but he gave the law to show us our sin nature and thereby realize our need for a savior. Let me phrase it another way. He gave us the law to show us the sin nature we inherited from Adam's death so that thereby our nature being revealed to us, we would recognize our need for a savior. You know, some people come to church for 25 years and they never come to the saving knowledge relationally with Christ. Because they've done everything they do in self-effort and earthly performance. And they do well at it. Whilst they hide their wrongdoings. But there's a point where you come to where you recognize by how severe the law is and how condemnatory it is that you need a savior. That this law cannot save you. Please, can I get a witness? Condemnation is a very bad thing. So the law then brings about the knowledge of sin. The knowledge of your sin. The knowledge of your sin causes you to feel condemned. And I want to charge you as a people, stop thinking of the law as a code for doing right or for not doing wrong. Stop it. Stop using it as a code for your performance. That's not what it's there for. That is a misuse of the law. Like I said, the law is good, it is perfect, it is righteous, it is holy. But the law has no power to make you good, righteous, perfect, or holy. It's like a mirror. If I put up the mirror, I will see the acne, the spots, the blackheads. I'll see all that's wrong. But I can't take the mirror and use it to cure my problem. It cannot. The Bible says the letter killeth. The Bible says concerning the law that it is a ministry or an administration of death. Hallelujah. So its purpose is to show me that I need a savior. And besides the law aspires to rise to the standard. What's the name of the standard? His name is Jesus. Tested in every way as we are yet without sin. The Lord doesn't even reach to his perfection. So please stop thinking of the law as a code for doing right or not doing wrong. God gave the law to show us our need for a savior. For the one who gives us no condemnation. Look with me at Romans 8 verse 3. Romans 8 verse 3. For what the law could not do, what was that? It could not perfect you. For what the law could not do that it was in that it was weak through the flesh. God had to send his own son in the likeness of our sinful flesh and for sin, condemn sin in Christ. You get it? The Lord is a murderer and it condemns Christ. What's the most famous Bible verse? Ishmael, tell me, what's the most famous Bible, Bible verse? John 3, 16. You're perfect. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish and we all know that verse but we don't know the next verse give me john 3 17 and watch what he says here watch what he says here he came to undo what adam had entered into what did adam enter into condemnation for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. In other words, 
Christ did not come armed with condemnation. He came armed with salvation. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, all things have passed away, all things have become new. Then he goes on to tell us, therefore, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation. Oh, I want you to preach for me. I want you to go to five people, keep some social distance about this far, and tell them there's no condemnation in your life, no matter what. As long as you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Absolutely no condemnation. The first name of the devil is not thief. The first name of the devil is not murderer, nor is his first name destroyer. Yes, it is true that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but where does he root his theft, his murder, and his destruction. His first name is Satan. In the Hebrew, Satan means prosecutor at law. In other words, he uses legitimacy. It simply means accuser. And what is the job of a prosecutor or an accuser? That job is to ensure that the court condemns the accused on legal grounds. And the prosecutor never talks about your good points. He only brings up all the filth about you and he unrelentless, unrelentingly accuses you until you feel condemned and until the court condemns you. And if you don't get a hold of condemnation and know how to trash it from your life, you are going to have to deal with the stress, the fear, the anxiety, and the attendant degeneration of your body's tissues. You know why? Because friend, your body is, to, is designed to comply with your volition. And the moment you accept condemnation, your body enzymes, your body hormones, your body tissue and cells start cooperating with people are going to get healed all across this building. Online, you're, if you get this message, you're going to get healed. You will reign over sickness. You will reign over death. You will reign over condemnation, anxiety, stress. You will reign. Your mind will be serviced by brain cells that know how to work in the grace of God, in the enabling power of the Almighty. And make no mistakes about it. Condemnation is very subtle. Even in a church that teaches the grace of our, our Lord, Satan knows how to bring condemnation. He can bring it from under you can bring it from above you, can bring it from around you. He's an expert. You too must become an expert at understanding the word of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. From my personal experience, I have found that it, 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 it is the power of God unto salvation, to free us from condemnation. So please stop thinking of the law as a code for doing right or not doing wrong. This is how the enemy tempts. This is how he brings you into conflict. Say, how could you do that and you call yourself a Christian? He doesn't come to you and say, slide backwards. He'll tempt you without you knowing he's tempting you. And then when you slip or you stumble, he will look at you and say, how could you do that? And you call yourself a husband. How could you do that and you call yourself a mother? How could you do that and you call yourself a good parent? Look at how tattered your son looks. Look at how tattered your daughter looks. Look at what's happening. And he accuses you. Because he wants you to feel condemnation because condemnation is the beginning of death. It's the root of death. 
And as a result, he transplants you in Adam. From where Adam originally was rooted to God, now he roots you in condemnation. And to fix your condemnation, he will present you the law and say, this is what you must do to get out of condemnation. Keep all the law. And he knows you cannot keep it. He knows you can't. Only Christ can keep the law. And only Christ has kept the law. In all of time and eternity. Even good men like Moses and Joshua and Abraham, they didn't keep the law. And in Adam's time, there was only one point of law. Don't touch that three. Yet he failed. How many of you would want to understand the keys of heaven? Keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay. There's a key to something called no more condemnation. God has offered us a life of no condemnation. That means you must rearrange your mindset to not allow condemnation to function in the faculties of your memory, your intelligence, or your imagination. You mustn't. So what is the key to no more condemnation? Listen, friend, the fact that you can feel condemned is proof that you have a heart of flesh, a soft heart, and not a heart of stone. Look with me at Ezekiel eleven nineteen, and then Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And God said, I will give them, he's now speaking of a new covenant. I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. So what you used to want before you will now hate. What you used to hate before you will now want. Look at you in church. Could they catch you dead in church? 50 years ago. What would I be doing in a Pentecostal church? What would I be doing here? Doing praise and worship, lifting hands like this. The only time we lift our hands is when we say... then I'm not only in church, I'm preaching. And I'm not just preaching like many motivations, I'm teaching doctrine. I would not be caught dead doing this. I would not be caught dead doing this. For some of my friends, they thought I was crazy. Now they know I belong in the asylum. I say, yes, the asylum is the sanctuary of God. I'm crazy about Jesus. So the fact that you have the conflict is a sign. It's an elementary sign, yes, but it's a sign that you are born again. So what is the key to no condemnation in your life? Look at Romans 8 verse 1. We're going to tear it apart now. We're going to detail it. The only place where there is no condemnation is where? In Christ. There's nowhere else you will not get condemnation. It's only there. So the fundamental thing is you must be rooted in Christ. And that's why I'm taking time to teach you who Christ is and who he is not. And he starts there by saying there's therefore. That means you have, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to know what it is therefore. And how do you know what it is therefore? You've got to read chapter 7. So please go home and read it. There, Paul tells us about his challenges um, and the conflict in his own soul. 
and how he had to battle with condemnation. But when he met with Christ, Christ took away all form of condemnation and he had plenty of it because he was a master of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In fact, of the top 72 men who knew the law, he was counted in the top five. That's why he was one of three men called Rabboni. Jesus, Paul of Tarsus, and Gamaliel. It says, there's thou therefore no condemnation to them which are where? How many of you are in Christ? So what are you doing with condemnation? And then when somebody else is in trouble, you condemn them. That means you really are not in Christ. Or you don't understand that you are. So Christ was condemned instead of us. He took all our sins for our entire lives and vented the judicial wrath and vengeance of God upon his own body on the tree. For it was there that God unleashed the fury of his judgmental wrath against sin as judgment on the body of Jesus Christ until Jesus Christ cried, it is finished. It wasn't until Jesus died, it was until he cried, it is finished. In other words, all the judgment, he took it. And when he finished taking it, he said, I'm still here. Because the sacrifice is greater than the judgment in this new covenant. For he had warned us, nobody takes my life from me. I lay down myself, I will pick it up by myself. If he wanted to, he could have called 100 trillion angels and said, oh yeah, let's go back to mother's house. I want to eat some bread. But no, he had finished the battle from heaven, dealt with it now on earth. He had to go and take authority in hell. In death, hell, and the grave. That's why he had to die. He had already taken the sacrifice or taken the judgment as sacrifice. And so the reason why you and I experience no condemnation today is that all our sins have been punished and condemned on the cross of Calvary, on the body of another. Who was that other? A substitute who had appropriately identified with us completely so that God accepted his DNA as ours, his death as our death, his crucifixion as our crucifixion, the judgment as our judgment. And therefore, there remains no condemnation for us because he took it all all the stuff you have done the one you are struggling with and the one that you are yet to contemplate don't make any mistakes about it the cost of your salvation was the most enormous price that no human being can ever pay God died for mankind the incarnate God died for mankind what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus what does it mean? Who are those qualified for this gift of no condemnation? Because it is a gift. It is those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are in a state of no condemnation. Are you conscious of that state? Because you can have a position but not be conscious of the power of your position. You must be conscious of the fact that you are in Christ. Otherwise, you will languish in condemnation. And condemnation will not know the distinction between you and those whom the roaring lamb can devour. That's why Christians suffer needlessly and we live beneath our privilege. 
So you must be conscious. How does that consciousness come? It's called faith. How does faith come? It comes by hearing and hearing the message of Christ. Hallelujah. That's what the word of God means there in Paul's writing. So when you believe in Christ, what you have done is you have put your faith in him uh, and God the Father therefore and thereby sees you in Christ Jesus. He sees you in the risen Christ, not the Christ before death, burial, and crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. He sees you in the risen Christ. And all that Jesus is, you are. All that Jesus has, you have. All that Jesus can do, you too can do. 1 John 4 verse 17 says, as he is, so are we. When we get to heaven, no. He says, so are we in this world. Can Christ who is at the Father's right hand ever be condemned again? So let me ask you a question. Can you, who is in Christ at the Father's right hand, can you ever lawfully be condemned again? The only way Satan can bring you into condemnation is if you choose it because of his deception. So therefore, the only reason you are not condemned is that you are in Christ Jesus. That's the only prerequisite for no condemnation. You can't get no condemnation anywhere else but in Christ Jesus. What I'm trying to say to you is that God is for you living a lifestyle of no sin. So if he wants you to live a lifestyle of no sin and no condemnation, the power to do this comes when you receive the gift, the gift of no condemnation. You didn't earn no condemnation. It was given to you. You have to take it, but he gave it. Every lawyer, how many lawyers do we have in the room? Just lift your hand if you're a lawyer, if you're called to the bar. You understand the law of double jeopardy. That one person cannot be condemned or judged for the same crime twice. So it brings up the importance of identity as a doctrine. Christ became us and he took our identity as a progenitor, as a progenitor, because it is in our, his being our progenitor that we have identity with him. What Satan did to Adam in the garden was he gave him misidentity. He told him you are not like God. And he believed it, told him in a subtle way and he bought into it as a result. He Wanting to be like God entered into sin and came into immediate condemnation. It took time to have its full effect, but its immediate effect was spiritual. Its consequent effect was eventually physical, emotional, and social. But I'm excited this morning because your sins cannot be condemned in the body of your substitute and then upon your own body. One person was enough. And because he had your identity comprehensively, totally, and was able as you were to sin, yet he did not, and perfected the law, fulfilled all the law on your behalf. He sat your exam and passed it in the flyingest colors, forgive my grammar, so that as far as God is concerned, you passed the examination. This was not Wayek, this was divinity, hallelujah, somebody. This was perfection. And the result of that, my friends, is that when God looks at you, he sees Christ's perfection. When God wants to treat you, he treats you the same way he treats Christ. When God sees you, he exalts you the same way that he exalts Christ. Everywhere where Christ is, you are. He has released you from the law of sin and death. So let's go to work. 
There's something called the law of gravity. Law of gravity says that everything that goes up must come down. And you see this law at work at the airport every day, at many airports, not all, but many, where a load of three, 400 passengers are put on a heavy piece of metal craft and gravity is meant to keep that aircraft on the ground with those human bodies on the ground with it. But once he revs up his engine and his thrust is greater than his drag and his aerolons give him lift that is greater than gravity, that plane is going to fly because there's a superior law to gravity called the law of aerodynamics. The law of condemnation is a very high law. It's a very, very high law and it's still at work in the earth and God uses it for a purpose. But there's a higher law that was given to us as a gift from God in Christ Jesus and it is called the law of no condemnation. A better way to put it is the law of the, the spirit of a life in Christ. A lifestyle in Christ which has made you free from the law of sin and death. So what is your lifestyle? Is your lifestyle in Christ? Is your lifestyle constantly talking about Christ and who you are in Him and what you have in Him? Is that how you walk? Since you have received Him, do you walk in Him? I'm not asking you if you walk in the Lord. Do you walk in Christ? Because that's the only place you will get freedom. Listen, anybody who is judgmental, they struggle with the law. The law is a problem for them. They base and try to build their lives on the law. We are Christians here. I hope somebody is getting me. So there's only one law that is higher than the law of sin and death. And that law that is higher than the law of sin and death is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You cannot get the operational lifestyle of that law, that principle, if you have not received the gift of no condemnation. So the only way to get set free from the law of sin and death is how? It is when the gift of no condemnation is yours and you know it. And then automatically the law of the spirit of life in Christ kicks in. And then it kicks out the law of sin and death. That's the order you see in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Hallelujah. So let's examine it in practice. Because Christ did not write any Bible. He was the Bible. So go with me to John chapter 8. And there a woman is caught in the very act of adultery. Where was the man? I put it to you that he must have been a Pharisee or a scribe. He was a religious leader. And all the blame went on the woman. I didn't do it. It was the woman. Whereas everybody knows that it takes two, at least two, to tango. And they didn't do anything to the guy because he certainly was not under judgment, otherwise he would have been there. The woman was not the object of their scrutiny. She was the bait to tempt Jesus to break the law. Because if he broke the law, he could not go to the cross adequately, legitimately. And if he fell into that trap, he would be in trouble. And they brought him brought her to him and he said, this woman was caught in the very act. And normally to do that, the eyewitnesses must be able to identify because they are the first and the second executioners. The person who saw them in the act takes the big boulder and uses it to strike the first blow. The second person, because there have to be two witnesses, would take another big boulder and they crush the person with it. Then the rest who heard it as secondary witnesses then throw pebbles or stones until a heap kills the person. And it's done from a scaffolding about 10 feet high. This person is blindfolded. You get it? 
So they bring her to him at the temple. He's standing on the pavement. And the pavement is covered with a bit of sand. And they say, Oga, this woman was caught in the very act. Moses' law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? If he said yes, stone her, he will be violating what John 3.17 says. He came with no condemnation. If he doesn't stone her or doesn't say that you should stone her, then how does he, how does he fulfill the law? Which he has to fulfill. This is why I said the weapon of God is not might, it's not brute force, it's not authority, it is wisdom. So what does he do? He stoops. And the scholars want to tell you what he started writing. That's not my business. That he stooped is the message of the gospel. That God who has all the authority to condemn, chose not to condemn. The Pharisees who had no authority to condemn because they were guilty of the same things as the man who was caught in the very act with her. They, they, would, they could not condemn. He would not condemn. And he starts writing. And the conjecture is, what did he write? It doesn't matter to me. It is that he was willing to touch the dirt from which we are made and handle it. From which our outer casings made and handle it. And, and wrote. I don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, it scared them <laughs> that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their law. That's what stones represents. He didn't ask them to drop it, but he just started writing. Then they asked him an intermediary question. The Bible said he answered them not a word. Then when they asked the intermediary question, he said, he who has no sin, and he knew that because they know the law. 613 requirements. Even if you got 612, well, at least one must be missing. God stooping. That's the message of the gospel. Stooping. One by one, they all dropped their stones. And the young people saw the elders fleeing. When my old guy is dropping stone, he's saying to me, that I have seen though. When my bishops, then them, start dropping stone. I'm just trying to give you a picture. What is, what is he saying to the younger guys? Christ was not only delivering the girl, he was delivering all of them. That even those who are meant to lead you in faith, but are leading you in religion instead, they are not perfect. If I were to count iniquity, not one of them can stand. And when they were all gone, he stood up. That is when he stood. In other words, he identified with her because she was on the ground. He came to where we are. He sat where you sat. He was tested everywhere you were tested. And therefore, he, as a high priest, he knows how to give succor to those who are hurting from the anguish and pain of condemnation. It was condemnation that led her into sin in the first place. And he said, woman, listen carefully. Where are your prosecutors at law? Where are your satans? Where are your accusers? He asked her the question, does any man condemn you? 
She said, no, Lord, because before you can go from no condemnation to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and then go and sin no more, you must first have the gift, receive the gift of no condemnation. He took condemnation completely out of the way. His own condemnation and he had the right to condemn her. Their condemnation, they had no right to condemn her because you must be sinless to cast the stone. That's why we know that the law was not meant to be used as a code to live by. But something to show us our fault inherited from Adam. Everybody has a chance. Everybody has a second chance. Everybody has as many chances as they need. Then what did he say? She said, no man condemns me. He said, neither do I condemn you. What did he say next? He gave her freedom. Go, comma. Yeah? Said go, comma. You see the comma there? That's freedom. What did he say? The law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. Go is the word of freedom there. Uh, neither do I condemn you. No man condemns you. And then neither do I condemn you. That's no condemnation. That's Romans 8.1. Upon that, he gave her the go. You, you see, you find the epistles in the life of Christ, not necessarily in the doctrine of Christ. Because he taught under the law. But his actions were pure grace. He was full of grace and truth. And we beheld that glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full is the word. Can we not be full of grace? That's how we will change this country. When you introduce people to Christ and let him grow up in them. Say, go. He did not promote sin. The grace of God does not teach us. It has appeared to all men, does not teach us to live ungodly lives. We may stumble into godlessness, but get up again. And if you see me fall down, pick me up quickly. If you see her fall down, pick her up quickly. That's what Christianity is about. Because we all know that we live in our enemy. This is an enemy. These were Pharisees. These were religious leaders. Say, go and sin no more. Look at this. It is because of the law of the spirit of life in Christ. It's only released to set you free from the law of sin and death when you first receive the gift of no condemnation. That's what she got. Now, I'm asking you to go home and retain in your understanding and your belief faculty the no condemnation mentality. Because once you have it, you will operate in the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Once you have the law of the spirit of life in Christ as your operational lifestyle, you are made free from the law of sin and death. You operate under a different law, completely different law. And it's called what we see now in Romans 5 verse 17, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So for if by one man's offense, condemnation with the fear, the stress, the anxiety, and all his problems, equals death, reign by one, much more than what death did. Much more. They which receive abundance of unmerited favor and the gift of righteousness. In other words, righteousness is not something you do. It's a nature that was given to you and it has its own way and it will flow. Hallelujah. They which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, what will happen to them? It's automatic. 
you will reign in life. You will reign over poverty. And you will reign in insufficiency. You will reign over death. You will reign over sickness. You will reign over lack. You will reign over want. You will reign over bills. You will reign over debt. You will reign over uh, uh, the lack of vision or the uh, impotence to vision. You will reign over it all. What I've taught today, this doctrine, Romans 8, 1 and 2, Romans uh, 5, 17, Jeremiah 17, 5, 6, 7 and 8. This is where you should root. Because from that foundation, where your root is, it supplies you everything you need. And the primary thing you don't need is condemnation. I want you to jettison condemnation by being in Christ, a free gift. Then friend, the law of the spirit of life in Christ becomes your operational lifestyle. And it makes you free from the condemnation empowered by the law of sin and death.